to go ahead and grab a seat. Now, as we kind of start summer and we get excited, I just wanted everyone to know I am not a fan of water parks, like at all. Anybody love water parks? Like, I do not get you. Like, I, I just don't understand. Like, to me, a water park is a bunch of people who have no business wearing a bathing suit that they're wearing, myself included, right? I mean, people half naked in my space. I don't know why they always have to like sit right next to me. I can't tell if I have water on me or if it's sweat. I walk on bare feet in the concrete and that's not very fun. I mean, so if you and I are ever kind of at a water park together, just understand I am very likely miserable in some way, shape or form. But my family loves water parks. I mean, the kids beg to go all year. And now that they have these indoor water park things, there's no respite for the non-water park loving people like me. So even though I do not like them at all, I have gone to a water park at least once for the last 10 years every year because that's how old my son is. And not too long ago, my seven-year-old daughter, my middle daughter, Eliza, She was talking about how excited she was to go to the water park trip that we had planned. And she was so like, just oh, so overjoyed. And she asked me, hey, dad, are are you excited? And I have never told my kids my disdain for water parks. I mean, my face probably has told them, but I've never like verbally told them. And this time when she asked, I decided to, to tell the truth rather than like, wiggle my way out and change the subject. So she asked, are you excited to go, dad? And I said, no, I'm not really. I don't really like water parks, but I'm excited that you're excited to go. And it was like watching a seven-year-old try to do calculus in, in her brain, like, like smoke was coming out of her ears, like she didn't really understand. It did not compute for her. And she's like, dad, we go every year. How can you not like it? And I said, well, both can be true. I cannot like it and we can still go every year. And she did not understand. And she's like, why would we go every year if you don't like it? And she's so sweet. She's genuinely concerned for me. And I could have said, hey, because I love you so much, I could have said we go because I would do anything for my family. I could have said, you know, nothing would keep me from taking care of my kids. Could have said all of those things. And Eliza's big blue eyes looked up at me and she said, why would you go every year if you don't like it? And I said, because mom makes me. (laughs) That's still true. I stand by it. Now, I think the reason it's so difficult for Eliza to understand something like that is actually maybe the same reason it's difficult for us to understand situations sometimes. I mean, two things can be true at the exact same time but it's, it's kind of hard for us to compute it at times. So we think things and you're like, hey, you can't eat unhealthy all the time and be healthy. Okay, fair enough. That's an either or. You can't work all day and, and have healthy relationships. Well, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. You can't be a Patriots fan and be my friend. That one's true. That's an either or for me. And when things are difficult in our lives, though, when we're in the middle of the pain, when we're in the middle of the hurt, the middle of the struggle, the middle of the grief or the injustice or the whatever, we tend to live life like it's an either or. We say things like, if she loved me, she wouldn't treat me that way. Or if he cared about me, he would have shown up. And I get it, and there's a little bit of truth in that, but it's not completely true. Either or is not always true. And when we're in the middle of the 
difficult stuff, the struggle stuff, when we're on the struggle bus, we go, I'm either happy or sad. I can't be both. And we feel guilty even when we start to enjoy something in a season of grief or when somebody is around us when we're sad and they're happy, it's like nails on a chalkboard. But two things can be true at the same time. And so these struggles, this back and forth tug of war with the either or can be a really big deal in our lives. It can be difficult to navigate, especially in seasons of pain or of grief. Now, we're in this series that we're calling The Struggle is Real. And boy, sometimes the struggle is real. Am I right? I mean, last week we started talking about what it looks like to navigate difficult things when we don't know where to turn, we don't know what to do, and to figure this out a little bit, we turned to a book in the Bible, in the Old Testament, first half of the Bible, called Lamentations. It's just this little, tiny, little book in the Bible. It's written by an anonymous author, although it's really likely it's the prophet Jeremiah from the Old Testament. It is five chapters long, just five poems about lament. And a lament is kind of like a sad funeral song that cries out to God. And last week we talked about how important being able to cry out to God, being able to lament really is to our spiritual lives. And a lament gives us a way to process the pain in our lives, to protest the injustice in our world when things aren't as they should be, and to ponder the ways of God. But sometimes, even in lament, we struggle with this either or, and it spills into our spiritual lives. And so dealing with this either or issue is actually a really big deal when it comes to our relationship with God. Here's why, because this is what starts to happen. We start to think either God will provide in the way that I'm hoping he will, or he doesn't love me. Either God will take away the pain that I feel, that I'm crying out to him to take away, or he actually isn't that loving of a God. Either God solves the problem of injustice or maybe he's not even a God worth following. See, we kind of try to cram God into this either or box. And there are some either ors in faith, you know, some absolute truths in faith. I mean, either Jesus is the son of God or he's not. I believe he is. Either we follow Jesus or we don't. There's kind of like no lukewarm there. But in the context of pain or of struggle or of hurt, there's a whole lot of both and. Here's what I mean. God's faithfulness and our struggle can coexist. We just act like it can't. And that sounds a little counterintuitive, like how could they both be true? But I think they are both true. So check this out. Here's an example from the book of Lamentations that Jeremiah wrote. This is chapter 5, starting verse 19. But Lord, you remain the same forever. Your throne continues from generation to generation. That doesn't seem so bad. And he goes, well, why do you continue to forget us? Why have you abandoned us for so long? That's kind of that both and. Now being forgotten, that doesn't feel so good, does it? Have you ever like been in a room and you haven't been introduced by the person that maybe invited you? That, that doesn't feel great. Or even worse, has somebody forgotten your birthday or your anniversary before? I mean, don't look at your spouse right now. It's probably happened. It's okay. We understand. We can lament it. You can come talk to me afterwards. We can help you figure it out. But the reality is we really don't like that feeling. I mean, almost every Sunday morning I interact with somebody 
And then I find out later it was their birthday. And I'm like, I, feel, I just feel like a buffoon a little bit. And we don't have to always understand like where somebody is going to understand that we can feel forgotten in the midst of all of this other stuff going on. Sometimes in the middle of a room that we're in right now, we feel the most lonely or the most forgotten. Do you ever feel forgotten by God? Like you're in the middle of the struggle and you've prayed your heart out and you know the struggle is real and you have tried to lament. You've cried out and there is seemingly silence and you feel forgotten. This is Memorial Day weekend. It's an entire holiday, a national holiday given so that we don't forget. I mean, it's a holiday to remember and to honor the men and women who have died while serving in the U.S. military. And I, for one, am incredibly grateful for those who would die for our country to protect people that they have never met. And we don't want to forget them. And we don't want people to be forgotten in our own lives, whether it's a military person and we have flags that we fly to remember that. Or maybe it's somebody, have you ever seen the bumper stickers on cars that people put on the back of their car? They just don't want that person to feel forgotten. I mean, we do this all sorts of different ways. We don't want to feel forgotten. We don't want our friend to feel forgotten. We don't want a circumstance to be forgotten. No one wants to feel forgotten. And Jeremiah can relate. And we jumped kind of into the middle of his lament poem, his song that he's crying out to God. So what we're going to do is we're going to back up just a little bit and we're going to read about how Jeremiah feels throughout this poem. And I'm going to read actually around 18 verses or so to catch up to where we were in verse 19. But I think you're going to find out that Jeremiah is pretty good at lament. And we can learn a little bit from how he does this. He knows how to cry out. And I think we can maybe find ourselves in some of the things and feelings that he describes. So this is chapter five in Lamentations, starting in verse one. Here it is. He goes, Lord, he starts with God. And he goes, remember what has happened to us. He already feels forgotten. See how we have been disgraced. And then he goes on to describe how real the struggle really is. And as I read the things that he's lamenting, I think it relates in some areas in our own lives sometimes. These are real things that he's describing. We're going to take these verses one at a time and identify maybe some things that Jeremiah is doing when he's crying out to God. So check this out. This is verse two. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers and our homes to foreigners. I mean, this is bad. They've been exiled out of Jerusalem. But the reason that this is a big deal, their inheritance is talking about their future. This isn't just something that they have to kind of like navigate through. It's bad. This is a really bad situation. Verse three, this is what he says. We're orphaned and fatherless. Our mothers are widowed. The very family structure of their society is being attacked. We have to pay for water to drink. And even firewood is expensive. See, like these are bare necessity type situation things. Water just to live firewood to stay warm. They're in the wilderness. They're in the caves. This is a really bad situation that they're in. Verse five, those who pursue us are at our heels and we are exhausted, but are given no rest. See, they're not safe. 
want to be very clear about this. They had to run away because they were so not safe. Everything is bad. Everybody hates them. That's what they're saying. Have you ever heard that song? Everybody hates me. Nobody loves me. Guess I'll go eat worms. Just me? Cool. I had a weird childhood. I understand. It's no problem. But that's kind of what they're saying. They're saying this is bad for every single person in our community. Check this out. Verse 6. We submitted to Egypt and Assyria to get enough food to survive. I mean, food is being questioned. They're making alliances that they really don't want to have to make. In verse 7, it says this, Our ancestors sinned, but they have died. We're talking about the past. We're suffering the punishment that they deserved. What's the next thing? Say, slaves have now become our masters. Everything's turned upside down. There's no one left to rescue us. This is our past. This is our present. And he keeps keeps going and he says, we hunt for food at the risk of our own lives. We don't even have food. For violence rules the countryside, our very security, our past, our present, our future. Even in verse 10, he kind of talks about their bodies. See, the famine has blackened our skin as though baked in an oven. They have no shelter. They have no place to go. They have nowhere to turn. He lists off a couple of things in the next couple of verses. Check this out. Our enemies rape the women in Jerusalem and the young girls in all the towns of Judah. That's just one verse, by the way. Our princes are being hanged by their thumbs and our elders are treated with contempt. Literally, he means. Young men are led away to work at millstones and boys stagger under heavy loads of wood. Young boys, two, three, four years old. The elders no longer sit in the city gates. The young men no longer dance and sing. He's saying this isn't fair. The injustice is not okay, God. Have you ever felt those emotions when you grieve? How is this okay? How is it okay for this to happen? How is it okay for me to be treated this way? We have those emotions as we struggle. When the cancer comes back, when the marriage crumbles, as the child falls away, as the job is lost, as finances build up, as the anger burns, or maybe it's just, just the simplest little thing that just, we just can't get over, and it hurts us, and it harms us, and it builds up. This is how it feels, and we start to go, how is this okay, God? And then Jeremiah brings it home. He says, joy has left our hearts. That's quite a phrase. Our dancing has turned to mourning. The garlands have fallen from our heads. Weep for us because we have sinned. Our hearts are sick and we're weary and our eyes grow dim with tears for Jerusalem is empty and desolate a place haunted by jackals. And the thing is, in this lament, every single thing that Jeremiah is saying is true. Those things all happened. The injustice, the pain, the illness, the hurt, the struggle is real. But he's not quite done. This is verse 19. But, Lord... 
You remain the same forever. Your throne continues from generation to generation. See, lament would be a completely different thing except for this big old huge butt right here. I love big butts and I cannot lie. Like this is true too. The injustice, the pain, the illness, the grief. And he's saying, where are you, God? But Lord. Does the pain magically go away? No, but he says, but Lord. And then he says this in verse 20. Why do you continue to forget us? Like it still feels bad, God. Why have you abandoned us for so long? And I think Jeremiah is kind of setting it up. He's like, we can feel both things. We can feel forgotten and God can be in control. Why do you forget us? It feels like you have forgotten us, God, but you're in control. So Lord, verse 21, restore us, O Lord, and bring us back to you again. Give us back the joys that we once had because they're God's to give. Or have you utterly rejected us? Are you angry with us still? And that's how he ends. Both are true right in the middle of his pain and his hurt and his concern and his worry. Both can be true. We can feel forgotten and God can still be in control. God's faithfulness and our struggle can coexist. God is big enough to handle the struggle. He's big enough to handle the lament. He's big enough to handle the complaint. And he's big enough to love us perfectly right where we are. And we could really stop right here, couldn't we? Like this is a wonderful sentiment, but I really want to dig into that concept that since both of these things are true, that God is faithful and we can still feel forgotten, here are three kind of both ands that are really important, I think, as we lament, as we process through the pain. So here's the first one. Both of these things, I think, can be true. Suffering is both terrible and helpful. You know, when we're going through something difficult, we usually aren't going like, this is so fun. Like we're not singing like, we've had the time of our lives. We're not doing that. Why aren't we doing that? Because we don't feel that way. We're not going, we should do that again. Now last week I asked, what's the worst thing that's ever happened in your life? Really fun question. This week I'm going to ask, what's the worst thing going on in your life right now? Because here's my guess. I bet it's really difficult. And I bet you feel it in your bones. And I bet the worst thing going on in your life impacts everything else in some way. And the worst thing could be all sorts of different stuff, can it? Like we could go around the room and all of us come up with a different thing. Is it anxiety, depression, loneliness, anger? You may be financial stress, work stress, family situation falling apart. Like all of those are really everyday type of things. Health is an everyday type of thing. And we feel like it's fleeting, like we can barely handle it. An illness or a disease that becomes a part of your everyday worry, abuse, addiction, all sorts of things. We could keep going. The list could go on and on and on. But you know what's interesting? See, in my life, the times of struggle are often the times where I grow the most in my relationship with God. I have to admit to you, I don't particularly like that that's how it's designed. But I'm grateful for it. See, in times of suffering, that's when I pray the most. In times of hurt, that's when I cry out and rely on God the most. In times of 
pain, that's when I say, God, I need you the most. I'm more attuned to who God is and what he's doing in the difficult stuff. It's usually not on the mountaintop. It's usually in the valley. And God shows up in our weakness. That's where his power shows up. Partly because we can't take credit for it. Partly because that's when we actually finally rely on him. And I'm going to say that the hardest times in my life have been helpful in my relationship with God. That doesn't mean it's easy to go through. Hear me, it's not easy to go through. We're not like, bring it on either. The things in my life, I don't want to go through it again ever, 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 ever. But when a hard time comes up, I know that God is faithful. And one of the reasons that I know he's faithful is that he has shown me over and over again in my own life and other people's lives, throughout history, throughout scripture, that he is faithful. When struggle comes, I know I can pray to the creator of the universe. That I can cry out to God in a way that he already knows what's going on and he already knows what I need. And when grief comes... I can have the hope of heaven, not because of anything that I've done, but because of who God is, both and. Suffering is both terrible and helpful. Here's the second one. God is both just and merciful. So personal suffering, kind of individual situations is one thing. But what about like on a grand scale? What about injustice? What about the things in life that just aren't fair. They're real things like racism and poverty and genocide and war. The stuff that Jeremiah is kind of talking about, right? Like he listed a bunch of stuff that we're like, I don't think any of this is fair. He brings up some pretty heavy stuff. But he also says God is a just God. He's in control and he's a merciful God. So what does justice mean? Like what do we mean when we say that? Really justice means getting what is deserved. And we're okay with justice for other people, not always okay for justice for ourselves. But if we all got what we deserved, we would all be on the wrong side of the ledger. See, we all fall short of God's standard, which is perfection, it's holiness. And when we fall short, it's called sin. We all sin, we all mess up. And God is just so much so that he chose to give justice by being merciful. The debt was already paid. Someone got what we deserved. It just wasn't us. That's the hope of Jesus. That's why the cross matters so much when we talk about lament. Because God can be both. He can allow something to happen and be providing and working and finding a way through. He can be just and merciful. And lament is this great reminder, not just of our pain, or of the injustice, but also of who God really is. God isn't distant. God's with us right now. He knows your pain better than you do. Can you imagine? He isn't unconcerned with our daily lives. He cares so much. He desires to have a relationship with us. He cares so much. He gives us access to the most powerful being in the universe. He says, cry out to me, pray to me. Because of Jesus, you have hope. Because of heaven, you have hope. Because of joy and peace, you have what you need. 
but only if we cry out to Him. And that's the beauty of, if that's what you call it, lament. Because he says both can be true. Suffering is both terrible and helpful. God is both just and merciful. And here's, here's the most important one. Lament is both ongoing and finished. And I, am, I wish that I could tell you that we won't lament ever again after today. But we will lament for the rest of our lives. We will cry. We will mourn. We will suffer. We will grieve. It's ongoing, but it's not never-ending. It has an end. And the end is both in the future and it's already here because in the middle of lament, we can have hope. We can expect a future that is beyond our expectations. We can have joy. Why? Because lament is also finished. Now this is John 19, starting in verse 28. This is Jesus up on the cross. If anybody is an example of lament, I think it could be Jesus. He cries out to God when he's on the cross, but also he knows what's going on. And check this out. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. And a jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips. Check this out. When Jesus had tasted it, he said three amazing words. He said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What is finished? He said, it is finished. What is finished? This is what's finished. His mission to save the world is finished. He says it a couple of verses before. His mission to give us hope. In the middle of his pain, he knows his mission is accomplished. His mission to make right all wrong. His mission to give us a right relationship with God. His mission to conquer death. This could be the way that we apply this lament kind of theme to our lives. We can cry out to God and trust his faithfulness. Both are true at the exact same time. So are you hurting today? Do you resonate with Jeremiah? Man, I can resonate sometimes. Do you lament? Are you crying out? It's okay. You're allowed. Cry out to God. He's big enough to handle it. You're allowed to ask him why. You're allowed to ask him how come. You're allowed to go, why is this the way that it is? You're allowed to process and you're allowed to protest and you're allowed to ponder. You're allowed, but also know that God is working and both can be true. That not only can we cry out to God, but we can also trust his provision and his faithfulness. Both can be true. I've seen examples of it in the Bible. I've seen examples of it in my own life. And I've seen examples of it in this church. Kind of like this one. So why is a question that I'm probably always going to ask. That's the first thing that came to my mind when we heard the words cancer. When Sarah was diagnosed at the age of 14, I mean, you just wonder why it's happening to you, and it does make you question the goodness of God. And I think we've had enough seasons, though, where we've seen him work things out for good and knowing that he is faithful and that he was still with us. And then just seeing her response to 
having a desire for her friends to know Jesus the way that she did, that's what gave us strength. And actually, she led the way through the struggle. And so when we knew that treatment was not working and that it looked like God was not going to give us the miracle we were praying for, I actually had to promise her that I would let God heal my broken heart. And he is. And he is through uh, moments of revealing to us that he's working out her story in ways that we don't even realize. And so for me, Kyra is a piece of that. Ever since we started kindergarten, like I just always knew Sarah was going to be like somebody that I liked. Like Sarah was a sweet girl and like I needed to have her close to me. Another one of my friends was just really struggling. I don't even remember what she was struggling with. Maybe going through a friend group or something. And so I was in the bathroom with her trying to comfort her while she was just torn to pieces. She was in tears. And Sarah walked in and she kind of saw that Kylie was upset and that we were trying to figure something out. And without hesitation, Sarah just jumped in and grabbed us by the hands and she was like, let's just pray. Let's just, let's just pray right now. I feel like you guys need this. So I remember that day, Sarah running out, getting in the car when I was picking her up from school and just saying, guess what, Mom, I got to pray today with Kyra and Kylie in the bathroom. There was some sort of girl drama. She's like, I don't know what it was about, but I was just like, you guys, what you really need is just Jesus and we just need to pray about this. And I was like, well, that's really cool. I'm so proud of you, you know, but I never really thought more about it, not realizing the significance of that day for you until after Sarah died and you wrote me that sweet letter on my birthday at one of our fire and music nights. Um, and I, I got your sweet letter and read it and realized that that was the day that you surrendered to Jesus completely, you said in that letter. A few weeks ago, you made the decision to get baptized. I did. I had been thinking about doing it for a long time, but there was just something in me that kept telling me, like, this is what I need to do. Like, God wants me to take this next step because, like, I had had a relationship with God, but I hadn't, like, shown anybody else that. Yeah. I had invited friends to church, but I hadn't, like, fully committed, I guess. Like, I had in my heart, but I hadn't outwardly. So I guess I just figured out that that was the best way to outwardly express an inward decision. So it's not that I hope that I see another girl crying in the bathroom and have to help them through that, but I hope that if I do come in contact with an experience where someone's really struggling with something, that I'm able to just show them that Jesus is right there with them and that I can help them find him through that. I love these moments when even in my questioning and still grieving, because I don't, I don't think I'll ever stop grieving and missing Sarah, but I get to see that her story has had an impact and that there are good things that are still coming from the seeds that she planted. It's just amazing how faithful God is, even in the struggle. It is amazing how faithful God is, even in the middle of the struggle. And both things can be true. You can cry out to God in the middle of the struggle and trust his faithfulness. Your lament is real and true. It's a part of you today, but it's also already finished. Because the hope of heaven is so significant, it's so real, it's so full, that even in the middle of 
struggle and lament, we can trust that God loves us. And we can say things like, it is finished because love has already decided what's going to happen. It is finished. The battle has already been won. It is finished. Death and pain and sorrow and tears have already been conquered. It is finished. God has made a way out and the struggle is real and the pain is real and the grief is real and we can lament it and cry out to God, but it is also finished. It's finished because God makes a way. Even in the darkest night, God makes a way. Even in the deepest pain, God makes a way. Even in the most desperate of circumstances because it was finished on the cross and it is finished today because of Jesus. Because the cross led to a tomb that was empty on the third day, we can have hope. And when we say those words, it is finished God has already given us a way out. And we can cry out to God and we can trust his faithfulness. I'd like to pray for us. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful that two things can be true at the same time, that your love can be so full and so real and we can be hurting. Help us cry out to you when we need to. Help us know how to lament. Help us know how to seek after you and say, God, I don't understand this. God, I want to protest this. God, I want to understand you and what you're doing through this. And in the middle of that, help us also trust that you are faithful. Trust that you are good. Trust that you love us and that you provide for us. You have all along. And help us cling to the hope that comes from the cross, that you make ways out, you make ways through, even in circumstances that we couldn't do that on our own. That we can have hope or joy or peace because of who you are, not because of who we are. So we trust you in that today. As we go throughout our week or as we go back to little struggles or big struggles or lament. Help us keep our eyes firmly focused on the creator God of the universe and of us and help us trust you and the way out that you'll make for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray today. Amen.